Welcome everyone to Jewish History Soundbites. This is Yehudi Geber with another episode of Jewish History Soundbites, but this is not just another episode. This upcoming episode about the Rosh Hashiva of the Mir, Rabbi Nachum Partsovich, in honor of his yard site, was originally recorded for Mir Yeshiva of Yerushalayim, for the alumni and friends and Talmidim of Mir Yeshiva, and they were gracious enough to allow this to for me to now go ahead and post this as an episode for Jewish History Soundbites. Uh, so thank you to the Mir for, for that. And um, I hope you enjoy this episode. And if you do, and even if you don't, but uh, you for sure will, then please, um, you're welcome and invited to go on to themir.org slash donate to participate in the great work of Mir Yeshiva and leave a donation, themir.org slash donate. And I hope you enjoy this episode about the great Rosh Hashiva of Nachum. A date which will live in infamy. Both of those projects, initiatives, got off the ground because of the Gerev. Out of the 24 who were killed were Americans who had come to learn in Kevin. I say one million Jewish children who were made to be cut loose. Whoever heard such beautiful words, It is never too little, it is never too late, and it is never enough. Jewish History Soundbites, bringing alive the world of our glorious past. Here is our host, live from Jerusalem, Jewish historian and tour guide, Yehuda Geber. Geber here, and I'm the host of the Jewish History Soundbites podcast, but more importantly, and more than anything else, I'm a Talmud of Mir Yeshiva, Mir Yeshiva in Yerushalayim. So, in honor of the Yeshiva of Nachum Partsovich's yard site, I had the schus of speaking to uh, both his son, Reb Tzvi Partsavich, who was very gracious to give of his time to share some memories and stories, and also to one of my Rebbeim and Mir Yeshiva, Reb Nachman Lovavitz, who also shared some of his memories, and uh, also to some other family members and Talmidim of Reb Nachman, who, who I either heard from or who wrote down um, in, in uh, different memories that they had, and uh, would like to share some of that with you today in honor of the yard site of the, of the Rashiva of Nachum. Um, I also want to make a, a special mention of an incredible work that a grandson of Reb Nachum, Reb uh, son-in-law actually, Reb Meir Shalevitz, an amazing Sefer, Sefer Binyan Nachum, uh, which is primarily a lot of Reb Nachum's Tyra that was not uh, published until this time um, that, that he put together. Um, but there's also a... A section of letters and correspondence, and a bi- extensive, quite extensive biography of Reb Nachum at the end, 
did meticulous research, extensive sources and footnotes. It's really an amazing work. It should be translated into English one day. And I'll only be able to be citing it briefly here. Uh, but you could actually fill several episodes. Maybe on, on my podcast, I'll be able to do that um, with the content that uh, Reb Meir Shalevitz was able to together. There's also great articles on uh, Reb Nachum been written by Reb Aaron Lopiansky, the Rashid in Silver Spring, and a Talmud of Reb Nachum by Yamir Klugman. So I'll be using a, you know, a lot of different uh, sources to be able to put this together. The Mir until today is in the shadow, lives in the shadow of, of Reb Nachum and flourishes in the shadow of Reb Nachum. That's through Reb Asher Arielis, his son-in-law, his Shiurim, and really everyone, almost every Magid Shir and Chabur, Resh Chabur and Yeshiva uses the Derech Halimur of Reb Nachum, the Sfarim of Reb Nachum that keep on getting published and are just growing in popularity. But when I came to Mir Yeshiva, it was. It wasn't just. Uh, it wasn't just in his shadow. It was literally his spirit was still hovering over the place. In many ways, there was many people who still remembered him clearly. I remember Rebbe Baruch Finkel, Zechariah Levracha used to quote uh, Reb Nachum often, and he used to, you know, very graphically describe it. He would say, "Chabem Gefrekt in sein Vegale." I asked him this specific question when he was wheeling himself into the base medrash in his wheelchair when he was sick in his later years. So he would you know, make, it, make it like you could see Reb Nachum there in the wheelchair in the base medrash. Reb Rafal Shmuel Levitz and the Ibal Chaim Reb Yitzchak both his brothers-in-law, we used to speak about him as like the patriarch of the family and not just another brother-in-law with a certain awe. And especially since the fact that in those days his, his, the, the Rebison of Reb Nachum, Rebison Etel, was still alive and healthy in the, living in the building of Mir Yeshiva, when you went to buy the Sefer of Chidusha Reb Nachum, you knocked on her door and asked to buy the, the Sefer and Reb Asher Arieli and Reb Sakhalman and Reb Savage. They used to all, you know, be around the old Dira, the old department of Reb Nachum. Um, and in fact, when I lived in the dormitory in the Yeshiva, so, I was two floors directly above her apartment. It was directly above her apartment, to just two floors higher. And I had a, a, a boisterous roommate who dropped something out the window, and it landed. It was actually Hashanah Rab afternoon, so it landed what would have been the porch of Rebetz and Bartzavich, but it was on top of her sukkah. So I went down, there was something I needed, is I went down and knocked on her door. She was a neighbor. At the end of the day, she was Rebetz and Bartzavich, she was my neighbor. And uh, I asked her, can I go get something from on top of the schach in the sukkah? She said, yeah, you could go ahead and get it, but make sure there's only puzzle in the sukkah. Don't make it puzzle. And I walk in and I start to tremble. I'm in Reb Nachum's apartment and I'm taking something from his sukkah. So, uh, you know, it's and, you know, but also I remember when I was uh, engaged, I um, I uh, went, I was, I was a Purim and I was, I was driving in Yerushalayim and I uh, passed Yeshiva, and Reb Usher uh, was out there in front of Yeshiva with uh, with with his mother-in-law, Rebetzin Etel. So I offered them a ride, and Reb Usher told me I wouldn't have taken a ride from you, but since my mother-in-law is with me and I'm taking her to my house in Sanhedrin Burchavet, so I'll take a ride. So Rebetzin Partsovich gets in the car, and she was on oxygen there already then, and I drove her over to the apartment, and I told her I was engaged, so she gave me this warm, long bracha for for my marriage and for my wedding and everything. And it was, it was like you felt there's something from Reb Nachum still around through the 
the Rebetzin also. So we go into where did Reb Nachum come from? Reb Nachum for many years, it, was only, it wasn't until after the war, until the 1950s, that he came to be known as Reb Nachum Partsovich. He was originally known as Reb Nachum Troker. Reb Nachum from the city of Trok, what they called in Yiddish, or Trakai. It was a town uh, south of Vilna, um, a beautiful uh, little Litvisha shtetl on the water. We go sometimes on our tours. We take when I take the tours during normal times. Um, we go to, to Trakai. It's not far from Vilna. Um, there's castles there. It actually was the capital of Lithuania. Big princes and kings lived there for a period of time, and you can see these old beautiful castles sitting on the water. And Rambam was descended from. Uh, the Cheshek Shleima, Reb Shleima Hakayin, who was the Dayan in Vilna for many years. Um, it was his great-grandfather, and Reb Nachum's grandfather and namesake was Reb Nachum Greenhuis, who was the rabbi, who was the Rav in the town of Truk. And his son-in-law, Reb Nachum Greenhuis' son-in-law, was Reb Aryitzvi Partsovich, um, who was Reb Nachum's father, and he took over in 1921 after Reb Nachum uh, untimely passing at a young age, he took over as the, as the Rav in, in Truk. Now it's interesting, Rabbi Yitzhi Partsovich was born into a family of Chernobyl Hasidim. So Reb Nachum came from a Hasidic home. Uh, Chernobyl, or not, his father already wasn't. When Reb Nachum was born, it was a very Litvisha home. But his ancestors were Chernobyl Hasidim. And Rabbi Yitzhi Partsovich, he was sent uh, by his parents to learn in the Mir Yeshiva. So it's already generational that Reb Nachum was part of the Mir his father already was a Talmud of the Mir Yeshiva, and um, his father, Rabbi Yitzvi, had actually had a younger brother, who was Rabbi Nachum's uncle, Rabbi Cheskel Aaron uh, Partsavich, who went actually went to study in the Slabatki Yeshiva and then moved with them to Hebron. And he would actually he would play uh, later a decisive role later on in Rabbi Nachum's life as one of his only surviving relatives after the war. He was an Eretz Yisrael, and uh, he used to correspond with him. Rabbi Nachum was very close with him. We'll get back to him later on in our story. So Rabbi Yitzvi was, as the Rav and Truk was very involved in, in the, the assisting of the Vada Yeshivas during the interwar period, like many of the communal rabbis of that area uh, during that time. And when the war broke out and many of the Yeshivas fled to Vilna uh, at, the, uh, at the insistence of Rabbi Chaim Moser and then they spread out to the outlying areas, so it was Rabbi Chanan Vassarman's Baranovich Yeshiva that settles in Trakai. They settled down in Truk. It became there, there for over a year. And Rabbi Ari Yitzvi, Rabbi Nachum's father, was the one who hosted them and cared for them. And, um, and Rabbi Ari Yitzvi, unfortunately, and his wife and his children and his family and the entire town were all murdered by the Nazis. Um, Rabbi Nachum was almost the only survivor from his family. One of the interesting things about uh, Trakai, once we mentioned it, was it's one of, the, one of those places in Lita that had a Karite presence, Karite Jews. Um, a Karoim, people who did not believe in the Tereshav Alpeh, is actually still a surviving wooden, I don't know what you want to call it, the synagogue, a place of prayer, shul of the, of the Karaites that's still there till today, um, um, that, uh, like, kind of like a museum. But Reb Nachum Greenhuis, uh, grandfather would have debates. He would try to fight it out with these Karoim and, and show them the, uh, how they're misguided in their, and their version of traditional Judaism, and the, it was the, the, the perfidiousness of these Karaites was seen actually during the Holocaust when they denied their Jewish identity and tried to convince the Nazis that they're not really Jews um, uh, during that time. Um, 
Reb Nachum, in fact, was asked if, during the 1950s. He was asked by during a time during the 1950s, a lot of literally thousands of ta- of survivors from towns across Europe um, wrote Yizker Bichel, Yizker Buch, a, a mem- memorial book about the town that had been decimated during the Holocaust. So the Trakai survivors approached Reb Nachum, who was already then uh, almost like a, a he wasn't yet a Rosh Hashiva in the Mir, but he was an older Yingaman in the Mir and a famous Talmud Chacham in Yerushalayim, and they asked him to write his memories from the town for the Yisker Buch of, of Trakai when it was being written up during that time. And he said, your father was the rabbi, your grandfather was the rabbi, and Reb Nachum went ahead and did so. So we actually had, and it's published in that Yisker Buch, and Reb Meir actually quotes the entire article word for word in his biography. This is Reb Nachum's memories of, his, like a memoir of, of the town of Trakai. In, at, t- at the age of 10, Reb Nachum was sent to nearby Vilna, nine or ten, to learn in the Ramaylis Yeshiva. And he was there for two years, and he became close with Rabbi Shleima Hyman, who was at that time the Rosh Yeshiva in Ramaylis. Rabbi Bartzavich told me just today, uh, when I spoke to him, that um, when he was in the Ramaylis Yeshiva, so so someone who was in the Ramaylis Yeshiva related, that he remembers he's seeing a, a child asking questions to the Rebbe, the Rebbe during the shir. And every time this little child opened his mouth, the Rebbe would say, oh, that's the Pnei Yeshua's kasha, that's the Rashba's kasha. And it was an incredible sight to see that he was literally merely a young, uh, a young child at the time. Remichel Yehuda Lefkovich remembered, uh, Reb Nachum was actually younger than him uh, when he was in Ramayla's Yeshiva during that time. And he remembers how Reb Shleimah Hyman took a liking to this young Talmud, but soon afterwards, at the age of 12, he was already ready, he was already ready for the next yeshiva. He went to Rabbi Chanan, Vasterman, and Baranovich, where he remained for two years, and then he moved on to learn, to study by Rabbi Baruch Berlebevich in Kamenetz for two years, from the age of 14 to the age of 16. Um, Rabbi Falshmulevitz, uh, told me that, uh, that he relied on Rabbi Nachum's memory of his, of the Shi'urim from his days in Kamenetz, more than he relied on seeing it inside in the Birkas Shmuel itself. Reb Nachum's memory of the Shirim was so perfect that Reb Fol relied on that more than seeing it in the Sefer, if there was a discrepancy. And uh, literally, decades later, Reb Nachum would be quoting directly what he heard. See, Patosh told me that he would quote, I heard this exactly from Reb Ber, and you're talking about someone who was 14, 15, 16 years old when he was there. So he arrives in the Mir Yeshiva at the age of 16, he's in 1938, and he's one of the youngest uh, Talmidim in the Yeshiva. Um, a couple of years later, the Mir ends up in Shanghai, and uh, although the younger Bachram in the Yeshiva would not, the custom was they would not go ahead and speak to the older ones. But when I spoke to an Alta Mirror, he related to me, he said, Reb Nachum was the exception. Erhat Geret mit he went to go and speak to Reb Leib Malin, he was someone who was on a different level. And Reb Nachum Lavavitz related to me today when I spoke to him about uh, Reb Nachum. He said that Reb Leib and Reb Nachum had a chavrusa in Shanghai. They used to, despite this you know, big age difference, in the summer's man, every year they would learn together uh, during the years in Shanghai. And, and it's interesting because every year they, in the, Reb Leib was in charge of putting out a, a pamphlet of, of Shmuzin of Rabbi Ruchim. Half of it was Rabbi Rucham Shmuzin, and the other half was the altar of Kelm Shmuzin, and they put out a new pamphlet every single year 
during the years, they put out seven or eight pamphlets, and and, uh, Reb, and they put it out for Rabbi Rucham's yard site, which is during the summer. And Rabbi Nachum, before he asked Rabbi Leib for this chavrusa, he was warned that Rabbi Leib is going to be very busy during the summer, because he writes down all the shmuzin, and then he's involved in the printing and distributing it, so he's going to be very busy. Rabbi Nachum said, it doesn't matter, I want the opportunity to learn with Rabbi Leib. And then Rabbi Nachum said that when we sat down to learn, the second we sat down to learn, open the Gemara, Rebleib, is as if the rest of the world didn't exist. There was no writing, there was no printing, there was no pamphlets. They were totally in the learning. Uh, Reb Nachum also was part of a Chabura that Reb Shmuel Kharkover organized in Shanghai of the younger Talmidim, eight or eight to ten, something, some number of Talmidim in, in Shanghai. And Reb Shmuel Kharkover was talented enough to be able to encourage everyone in the Chabura to deliver Chaburas. All the younger told me that he wanted to raise them up, and he and he managed to do it in a way that he himself wouldn't wouldn't be the center of attention. He's not the one giving the chaburas, and Abshmul Chagavir himself never was the one who gave it. And he was he worked on developing the younger ones that they should be the ones delivering the chaburas. So Reb Nachum was one of those one of the members of that chabura. And following the war, the chabura split up. Uh, some went to the United, like the rest of the Mirishiva. Some went to the United States. Some went to Eretz Yisrael. Some worked for a living, some got a yeshiva position, but the idea was that since they were part of this, they got very close in that small little chabura, the Shmuel Kharkov, they stayed in touch. In those days, it was with aerograms, the earlier form of mail, and they would write these letters to each other in learning, and learning, and also in, in about their life. This was their life, their families, this was their family, this was their connection. They, their families had primarily, for the most part, been wiped out, and this went on well into the 1970s, talking about for 30 years after the war, this original group is keeping a correspondence going that they had maintained the Torah that kept them together in Shanghai was the, was the glue that kept them together for many decades to come. Um, Reb Nachum also had a chavrusa with Reb Shmuel Birnbaum, Reb Nachum Lesman, and others in Shanghai, and then his years that he learned in America. During those years, it was Reb Nachum forged a very close relationship with the Mashkiach, Reb Chatzka Levenstein. Rabbi Yisrael related to me that uh, when Rabbi Nachum got sick with, uh, with multiple sclerosis, which uh, he was for many years, the last 15 years of his life, a debilitating, debilitating disease, um, and, he, uh, and Rabbi Yisrael, uh, when, 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 when Rabbi Nachum first got ill, so Rabbi, so Rabbi Chatzka was still alive. He was the Meshkiach in Panovish in his later years. And Rabbi Yitzchak was dispatched to go tell Rabbi Chatzkel that he's sick and you know ask him to daven for his beloved Talmud. Um, so so Rabbi Yitzchak told told Rabbi Chatzkel at that time, um, you should know your Talmud, Rabbi Nachum. He he's still giving shiurim. He's in pain and he has this new illness and he's still giving his shiurim. And he thought that Rabbi Chatzkel would be very impressed. Rabbi Chatzkel didn't miss a beat. He wasn't impressed. He said, This is not a surprise at all. He said he never missed a single vad that I ever gave in the yeshiva. Reb Nachum was a devoted Talmud. He was a Baal Musser. He was a Baal Avayda. He was someone who was real. So of course, when he, a Nisayan comes, a challenge comes, painful times come, he keeps going. He's, nothing's going to stop him. And Reb Ezrachi Andorov, he said it, Reb Nachum was known as Enifun the Kozakin of Reb Chatzkel, one of the Cossacks. I guess the, the, uh, the Russian Empire didn't, uh, didn't die in the yeshiva parlance yet. So we could, you know, we call, refer to him as a Cossack 
of Reb, of uh, of Reb Chaskel, and that you know as a devoted Talmud. Now, following the years in Shanghai, Reb Nachum, like most of the yeshiva, was in the United States, and he first settled down when the Mir Yeshiva was in Farakaway, and uh, during the summer months in in Farakaway, which was a vacation resort area at the time. So Reb Yankiv Safso, the Visker Ilo, used to vacation there, and Reb Nachum would go, go speak to him in learning. And the Visker Ilo, who wasn't impressed with most people. Was had a, a lot of enjoyment in speaking to Reb Nachum and learning. And now many of the yeshiva students of the Mir were expelled after their student visa had ran out, and they had to go to Canada. And um, so Reb Nachum ends up in Toronto, like many others. But most of the others, it was just for very temporary, a couple of weeks, and they were able to get back to the United States. They had to apply for uh, for a green card, for a visa, whatever it was, at the consul. And Reb Nachum was the only one who was stuck there for a few months. Why? What happened? So Reb Yankiv Kamenetsky, who was the rabbi in Toronto at the time, he, to- he related what happened, because when Reb Nachum had his appointment at the U.S. Consul, he was learning, and he was very involved in his learning, and he simply missed his appointment. So he gets stuck in Toronto, and he was there for a few months th- that summer, um, alone, and he missed the Kiddushins man they were, that they were learning uh, in the yeshiva in New York. And he, and for the rest of his life, he said he felt like that Masechta was always his weakest. Uh, he spent that summer learning Croesus on his own. Um, and he always bemoaned the fact that he was weaker in Kiddushin because he didn't study it together with the Yeshiva. And what's interesting is that time he goes through this indecisive period about whether he should stay in America or he should go to, to Israel. His uncle, Rabbi Cheskel, was in Eretz Yisrael. And he corresponded with him. And again, Ramesh Mulevitz in that book brings this amazing correspondence about his, his doubts with, he, with his, his uncle and his friends. On one hand, he was with the yeshiva and was with his friends. And you see how much his friends meant to him. You really see a human side of him in these letters about how much eventually when he does move to Israel, he writes about how much he misses them and seeing them and learning with them and being together with them. And then before he moves, he writes about how he doesn't want to leave. How can he leave them? How could he leave the yeshiva? How could he go alone to Eretz Yisrael? Um, uh, during this time, actually, he was close with Rabbi Chil Mordechai Gordon, the Lamzer Rosh Yeshiva, who was a native of Trakai. So you would speak to him in learning. And also Rebruvin Grzowski, who was his Rosh Yeshiva in Kamenitz many years earlier, when he was by Rebarach Ber in Kamenitz. So he was close with uh, both of them at this time. Uh, but eventually he decides to make the move to go to Eretz Yisrael to join his uncle, to rejoin the Mir in, in Yerushalayim. And, um, and he, and he goes in the late 1940s. Uh, the Mir was his family. He lost his family in the war. And the, and he, you know, he, uh, corresponded with his friends, uh, whenever he felt lonely and when he wanted to speak to them and learning through the letters. He was a big letter writer. Um, but he, then he marries into the Mir, the Mir family. Uh, r- r- there's a family tradition. In fact, that uh, at one point, Rablazi Yidl, Finkel, he wanted his granddaughter, uh, Rebetzin Etel, who was the daughter of Rebchayim Shmulevitz, of course, he wanted to marry the prized Talmud of Mir Yeshiva. So he brought her up to the Vibrashul, to the Ezra Snashim in the Mir, and he pointed out to where Reb Nachum was learning. He said, this is, this is the, the Masmid, this is the star of the yeshiva, this should, this should be your future chassid. This is one you, you're, you know, your basheret, you should marry. Um, now, uh, 
uh, he, so he became someone who everyone would speak to in the yeshiva. Nachman Lavavitz told me that uh, you know whenever whenever you saw Nachman around, even in his later years when he was sick in his wheelchair, you went over and go to speak to him. He told me that um, that one year is just now Parshas Nayach. So I remembered the 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 vart that uh, the Sfarna at the end of Parshas Nayach. He says that uh, the reason that that Chazal tell us that Avira the Eretz Yisrael Machim the heir of Eretz Yisrael makes one smart is because there was no mabul in Eretz Yisrael, that Chazal also tell us. So therefore the air was cleaner, and good air, clean air is healthy air, and therefore it helps you be smart. So you know, a little sort of surprising smartness, or Rav Nachman showed it to Rav Nachman, and is, what does this mean? So Rav Nachman said a very typical Rav Nachman answer, that, that, that's what the Svarn is saying. And then Rav Nachman added, it also makes sense, because in Europe, we used to go for walks in the forests, in the, the resort areas for vacation, because the good air clears the mind. Now, when Rabbi Nachum, uh, arrives in Eretz Yisrael, he became very close with the Briskarov. He would go to the Rav often to speak to him in learning, and the Briskarov allegedly said that he's one of the only people who, who's like the, the ones he had back in Brisk, the, the brilliant minds that he used to speak to in learning. He appreciated Rabbi Nachum was one of the only ones he had left. And once the Rav asked him, when they were discussing a certain topic, the Rav asked him, uh, um, what about the Gemara and Tmura? And Rav Nachum was silent. So the Rav says, I think it's time for you to review Tmura. So Rav Nachum goes immediately back to Mir Yeshiva, and he opens the Gemara Tmura, and he says to his Chavrus, he said, actually, I never learned Tmura before. That's the real thing. But the Rav said, right now, I should go up and open a Tmura. I'm learning Tmura now. Um, Rav Blaise Yiddel insisted that Rav Nachum become a Rosh Yeshiva and start saying, a shir Klali during his lifetime, um, and uh, and it becomes a famous shir, his Derech Halimud, which is completely focused on the text, on what's state, and what is it there, the simplicity, the straight logic, not complicated, which becomes the most famous feature of Reb Nachum, is his Derech Halimud, is the Pshat, is is his style of learning. And he and he would he was pretty sharp with Talmidim who 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 didn't who didn't uh, who, didn't display that that uh, importance. Uh, he, he would tell. He would sometimes tell Talmidim who were asking him questions during the shir. He would say, "Don't come to shir unprepared. First, see what the Gemara and the Rishayim say. Look at it. Keep keep to the text." Reb Tzvi Partzavish told me that, um, that every 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 time he thinks about the image of his father, he, he's he was completely involved in his learning, his asmada, his diligence. Um, but every time he learned it, it was, you know, he was learning the same Masechtas his whole life. He never left the walls of the yeshiva. He said every time he learned it, it was like new. He quoted Reb Chaim Kamil to me that, um, that, that it is as if when Reb Nachum started a new Masechta of the yeshiva, no matter how many times he gave Shirim on it, it was as if he, as if he never remembered anything from the previous time. He started it as if it's completely fresh, completely new. Uh, this was his love of Tyra. Um, it wasn't about recycling old shiurim or old uh, old stuff that from last time. His house was open till the wee hours of the morning, one, two in the morning. Talmidim would come. He would help them. He was totally devoted to his students. And when they would speak to him in learning, and they would ask some sort of question. He would start guiding them. Maybe you mean like this. Maybe you mean like that. And he would guide them towards seeing the truth. And then he would attribute that truth to this Talmud, because he started off with the question, and then we would give a shear to the yeshiva, a shear to Klali, a shear to a blot shear to his to, to his his shear. He would quote these Talmidim. He would say, "Oh, I heard from one of the Talmidim that he said this and this." 
idea. Everything that his Torah was, he, he made Hefker. Anyone can quote it, and they don't have to attribute it to him, because as long as they're saying the MS, that's the most important thing. He was he was uh, in, amazing in his simplicity, as Rabbi Tzvi also emphasized. He would sit in his shirt in the base medrash, and at home, just like anyone else. He was another person on the bench. He would sit and learn with his Chavrusa. He was just another. Now, he also wrote the Rebbe Sefer, the Divrei Eliezer. He would learn with Rebbe Yudel on Shabbos, and then he would stay up all night, might see Shabbos writing, uh, almost all night. And on Fridays, he would go speak with Rebbe Chaskal Abramsky in learning. He was involved with everyone. He would always be helping people. Um, it was once when he was preparing a Shir Kalali. This also would see Pratzavich told me. He, uh, a broken-hearted individual, had all kinds of problems. He had older daughters who needed a Shidduch and, and other issues, financial issues. And Reb Nachum was preparing a Shir Kalali, which required to put his, all his faculties and his intellectual focus. And it was a very draining process and very focused. And this guy comes to talk to him about his Tsaris. And Reb Nachum stops everything he's doing at the most not appropriate time, and goes and schmoozes with him. He talks to him. This is what this person needs now. Um, he was total, another point that Tzvi Patsovich emphasized was the MS, the, the truth, that he was only seeking the truth. Every might say Shabbos, Reb Nachum would deliver a two and a half hour Chabura to a group, a select group, and then that would be the subject of the Shir Kloli the next morning. The Shir Kloli of Reb Nachum was Sunday at 12.30. Every Sunday at 12.30, besides for his lot shir that he said every day also. Now, um, so one time during the Chabur, a discussion arose, and someone questioned one of the premises that he said, and he stopped for a second, he said, it's true what you're saying. And they stopped the Chabur there, and the next day the Shir Koli was on another topic entirely. By the way, I just want to emphasize, when I spoke to Tzvi Pratavish today, every time he said a story about a sugya, he would actually say which sugya it was. He remembers which sugya each and every story was. Not only do I not even remember what he said, but uh, you know, it's, I, I wouldn't even I wouldn't even know what he's talking about. But uh, that also says something about Reb Tzvi. Um, he was very modest, Reb Nachum, but it, it, his his modesty was in a way that he didn't even realize he's being modest. He was very just simple and real. He went to someone's house once to discuss a, uh, to discuss a shidduch for one of his children. And he didn't think it was anything special that he went out of his way to go to a special, make a special visit to someone's house. He's a Rosh Hashiva to do it. He didn't think of it. It wasn't, he was just full of love and warmth for people and looking out for their good. Um, Rebellion Mayor Klugman, another prominent Talmud of Reb Nachum, he wrote a beautiful article on, on, uh, Reb Nachum and he described how the mirror in its heyday, Reb Chaim Shmulevitz and Reb Nachum were lions, and they were always in the base medrash, especially Reb Nachum was there almost all hours of the day. He learned in the base medrash. The Rashiva was sitting there in the base medrash with everyone, but in, in the, in, again, in, amongst, amongst the Talmidim. I remember actually Reb Rafal Shmulevitz was a similar way, uh, as well. And Reb Lopiansky also has, again, a Talmud and family. He was a beautiful article that he wrote on, on, about Reb Nachum and, and he described how um, how uh, um, he when someone when Reb Nachum was told that some other Rebbe or Rosh Hashiva and some other somewhere was parroting Reb Nachum's shear word for word without revealing the source at all, he said, "Wow, that's fantastic! Now this Rebbe's Talmidim are going to hear the true pshat in the sugya. I don't need him to quote me. Uh, it didn't it didn't belong to him." Um, he uh, he spoke about how Yevamis, 
was very especially difficult for Reb Nachum to study every time that the yeshiva got it into its cycle because Reb Nachum had formulated certain fundamental principles which were relevant to the entire Masechta. And, and when he would try to, uh, to attempt to study it from scratch and, and reformulate the same principles as if he didn't know them from before, and Reb Nachum said that that was a, a very difficult uh, thing to do. Reb Yibarach Finkel uh, told me that he that Reb Nachum would deliver Chaburas on Kachim on Friday afternoon. And Friday afternoon, that's when the Mir was learning Kachim, and Reb Nachum was giving, and people were going. Um, I, th- I thought that itself was an amazing story, but apparently the fact that it, you know, Reb Nachum was a master at Kachim, and that Kachim was part of the, the yeshiva because of that uh, um, as, as well. Reb Yitzchak Berkowitz, also a prominent Talmud today, a big Rav and Paisik in Yerushalayim, he related a, a story but when he was by Reb Nachum, that they heard a shir, the shir for Reb Nachum, and then when he was studying with his chavrusa, following the shir, Reb Yitzchak Berkowitz's chavrusa came up with an answer to Reb Nachum's question from the shir. And his chavrusa said, you know what, I think my answer is better than the Rosh Hashiva's answer, it's better than Reb Nachum's answer. Okay, so they went to Reb Nachum the next morning after davening. Reb Nachum was already sick, in his wheelchair, folding his tefillin, his talis, and Ritzik Berkowitz accompanies his Harusa, who goes ahead and tells, relates the answer that he, the answer that he felt was an answer to Reb Nachum's question from this year. Reb Nachum sits and listens to his answer, and he then he repeats the question, and then he repeats his own answer, and then he repeats Reb Yitzchak Berkowitz's Harusa's answer, and then he says, "Aha, uh-huh, your answer." is better than my answer. That's Givaldic. And his face lit up. And then he repeats the answer. And again, and again, and again for 20 minutes. Reb Nachum repeats the answer, the question, the first answer, the second answer, emphasizing each time that this, his Talmud's answer, is better than his answer. And he's described it, the way Reb Yitzchak described it, is that every time his face got brighter and brighter and brighter, the love of Tyra on his face and his Talmud's answer, an incredible thing to see. During the Six-Day War, when everyone went down into the dining room, the, the, the bomb shelter of the Mir, so Reb Nachum spent the entire week studying at a makeshift stender, and the next day after, when they got back up, he was ready for the next uh, Shir Klali. Um, Reb Elimei Klugman related, that uh, that sometimes Reb Nachum would bring the Kailal checks to his students' homes. And he even vi- visited them at home occasionally because he said to them, I want your wives to see how much I respect you. So I'm coming down to visit you in your home. Um, I, I, he, his simplicity was in mannerisms, in the behavior, in the interpersonal relationships. Um, Rabbi Lopiansky said that he would answer, Reb Nachum would answer the payphone. Anyone remembers what payphones were in yeshiva, in the yeshiva hallway. And he would call, and then it would, whoever was needed, he would go into the base measure, he would call out that bacher. No frills, no shtick. Um, uh, I remember Yaakov Eliezer Schwartzman, the Rosh Yeshiva Lakewood East, who uh, before he, he had studied in the mirror by Reb Nachum for a period of time, he told me that, uh, that um, when he was in the yeshiva for a year, he went during Bain Hazmanim up north for one day to go to Kivrei Tzadikim to Davin. He was very proud of himself. It was the first time he had left the yeshiva in a year of being there. And it was during Bain Hazmanim, and it was only for one day, and it was to go to Kivrei Tzadikim. 
So he went to Reb Nachum to tell him, Reb Nachum was asking, how was your Benazmanim? So he said, you know, it was my first time leaving Yeshiva after a whole year, and I went to Davin and Kivrit Tzadikim up north, and Reb Nachum looks at him and says, Azei, ich bin schon dort 20 Jahre und ich habe noch nicht getroffen, die Zeit zu Arab gehen to Davin by the Kivrit Tzadikim. I'm here for 20 years, and I haven't yet found the time to go up north to Davin by the Kivrit Tzadikim. Um, a story about... I'm not sure if it's a story about Reb Nachum or Reb Asher, or maybe I'm just being arrogant and I think that it's a story about me. I'm not sure, but I'll let the listeners decide. I was by Reb Asher Arieli on Cholomite Pesach once. And the Cholomite Sukkis Kabbalah's Kal was always jam-packed and a lot of people were there, a lot of visitors. Pesach was very few. Who's around for Pesach? So it was, I was there, it was a few other guys. And, um, and Reb Asher was saying stories about Reb Nachum. A few of these stories that I related today, I heard originally from him many years ago. And mainly they revolved around how much of an ilui, how much of a genius, which apparently he was, and it, so it seems. A great intellectually gifted individual who, who used his potential to, in a masterful way. So Reb Asher was relating five or six or seven stories about Reb Nachum, how much of a great genius he was, and the Talmud Chacham he was, and how he utilized his potential, and how he, you know, revolved around that theme. And, you know, I found it disturbing, because I I couldn't speak for everyone in the room, but I'm not such a genius. And I don't know if I could have that potential that Reb Nachum did. So I don't know what possessed me, some sort of chutzpah, or audacity, or craziness. Um, but it was a good thing I did, because it's a great story after what came out of it. But when there was a break in the stories, I, I, from the back of the room, I said, I said, to, you know, I just put it out there on the table. I said, So I guess if we're not iluyim like your shver, like Reb Nachum, then, then we are not going to be able to achieve what he was able to achieve. So nothing's going to become of us. And I don't know why I said it. And Reb Usher went white. He turned colors. And, 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 you know, he's, everyone knows he's the most gentle, you know, you know, never gets excited about anything. All of a sudden he did get excited. And he said, I didn't say that, I didn't mean that. Everyone uses their potential. My point was to say that he had these gifts and he used them and he was a masman and he developed it. My point wasn't that since he's an Elois, he could do it and no one else can. And he really went wild for a few minutes. And I saw how much of an effect it had on him. Um, that two weeks later, when the Zman started, I remember it was the Nadarim Zman, Rabbi Asher always started off with a short shmuz. And it's usually a very standard script. He never really uh, said, you know, he said it, it was Zman, and, you know, you have to use the opportunity, excuse me, opportunity for, uh, that it, uh, you know, and utilize every Seder, and, and, you know, and apply yourself. It was usually a very standardized script. But this time, all of a sudden, it was different. So, like I said, it was Nadarim. So he quoted from a a, a Gemara in Ksubis, where uh, Kalba Savua, after Rabbi Akiva, came back with all these Talmidim, and Kalba Savua wanted to be Matir Neder, so he could share his wealth with his daughter and son-in-law. And Taisvis over there asks, Rabbi Asher quotes to Taisvis at the beginning of this man, he says, Taisvis asks, how could he get a Hataras Nedarim, ain't Paischin Benaylad? Rabbi Akiva was not a Talmud Chacham prior his going to study in in the uh, in the yeshiva there. So how could how could he get a Ataras Nadarim? And Taisus over there says that um, that anyone 
Darkoi, anyone, I don't remember the exact uh, language, anyone who goes to yeshiva is able to become a Talmud Chacham. So, um, so, so Rabashi says, under Amenin, some people say that they think that only Iluyim can learn a Talmud Chacham, that only great geniuses can become. Everyone could become, everyone has that potential. So we got a schmooze from Rabash Ariely because of that uh, story and, 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 and that chutzpah the kid um, um, uh, as well. So Rab Nachum lived in, uh, in utter simplicity in the yeshiva building. It was almost, almost like living in poverty and bad air. It was underground, below ground. There was a even a boulder that protruded in the living room it was often flooded during the winter. In my days, it was a boiler room, and I once went to check it out. I was shocked that he could have raised a family there, just living in with total simplicity. Later on, when he got sick, he moved into another part of the, the building, an apartment in the building. His shear was delivered in his apartment because his home became part of the yeshiva. Um, he sustained a long illness. He had suffered from multiple sclerosis. He visited the United States uh, during that time for medical treatment, and that is the beginning of attracting Americans to come to the yeshiva, um, to come to hear his shiurim. Um, he, you know, visited, gave shiurim in different places in in America when he was there. Um, he later on even sent a letter to the Lubavitcher Rebbe to daven for him. Interestingly enough. Um, he, he, Billy Mary Klugman related how, how you never saw on Rabbi Nachum's face that he was in pain. And he said that he had learned from Rabbi Chil Mordechai Gordon, the Lamjur Rosh Hashiva, who I mentioned earlier, was a native of, of Trakai, of his hometown. He said that a face is a Rishusarabim, it's a public domain. And you're not allowed to be mazik in a Rishusarabim. You can't damage over there. So I can't show any pain in my face. And uh, I think that's a a very apt way to end off um, a little bit, a little bit taste of who the great Rosh Hashiva of Nachum Partsovich was, Chusa Yogin Aleinu. And you can feel free to reach out to me for feedback or please to share other stories, information, memories of Rav Nachum or anything related to that. So you can email me at yehuda at yehudageberer.com. Thank you.